Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this week, and we're going to kick it right off with an explanation first. Now, the explanation is that we promised to review Swamp Thing Volume 2 on this very stack podcast. Uh, but unfortunately, because of Thanksgiving, Pete is off. So we're going to put a, we're going to hold off on that until next week. Yeah. That said, if we got to make like- sure he does his homework. And <laughs> the only way to do that is to be here with him when it's due. Otherwise, mm-hmm. excuses galore. Exactly. So that said, if you would like us to review a book, if you want to request a book for us to review here on the stack, drop a comment on iTunes with your request, that's where we got a couple of great suggestions so far, including Saga of the Swamp Thing Volume 2 that will be coming up, we promise, next week, unless Pete's off again or something. Yeah. He has another holiday where he has to sleep a lot after he eats a big meal. <laughs> that's called Tuesday. So let's kick into it with Hulk number one from Marvel, written by Donny Cates, art by Ryan Otley. This is, of course, Picking up after Immortal Hulk, as well as Venom, where Donnie and Ryan did a run on that before. There's a bold new take on the Hulk, where he's a spaceship. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just put it out there. That's the plot of the book. But I will say, that caught me off guard. Mm-hmm, quite a bit. What did you think about this take? What did you think about this team taking on the Hulk, particularly after such a lauded run of the Hulk right before this? Now, of course, it's hard to follow up on a run that is hyper-specific like the Immortal Hulk was and just wildly successful. So I do think, you know, you got to make a strong choice. Uh, Donnie Cates loves a strong choice. Always, He's always happy to incorporate um, the word null into any book he's writing, mm-hmm. um, which he does here as well, I believe. Um, I think I saw it just a little out of the corner of my eye. Uh, Ryan Otley's art here is really cool. And the idea that the Hulk, that Bruce Banner is the actual threat, I thought was a fun sort of flip. Mm-hmm. Um, the spaceship thing, I'm like, I don't quite get this yet, uh, but I'm curious what that means. The I would bet, I haven't read any interviews about this or anything, but I would bet it almost starts with the place that we end the first issue, which is yep. saying that the Hulk is the fuel for his anger, because the Hulk is literally the engine. Bruce Banner is essentially creating these different parts of his own mind palace. He's using the Hulk and controlling the Hulk. So like you're saying, it is this flip of the dynamic. There's a lot of big swings here. And I think ultimately it's going to see be about watching where where it pays off as we continue to read along. Because like you said, a lot of information, a lot of new information, big change from the last issue of Hulk that we read. Um, I liked it. And like you said, it was a great looking book. It'll just, there's a big status quo change at the end here that I think points to 
why the Hulk is a starship at this point. So we'll have to read it going forward. But it also, in a, in a way, is this classic Hulk thing of like, well, I'm leaving Earth. Goodbye. Now I'm going to meet some yeah. alien peoples or something. So I don't know. We'll see well, what happens. And I think uh, like Pete's big complaint um, from like Planet Hulk was like, well, how come Hulk's not the starship? Um, so mm-hmm. I think that'll really make him happy. But it's like <laughs> when my daughter says I'm a starship, I'm not like, okay. I'm like, I have some questions about exactly what that means. So <laughs> really? this I, is I just run I with it. Whenever your daughter yeah. says that I'm a starship, I run with it. Yeah. Sorry, bud. Let's move on then with Catwoman number 37 from DC Comics, written by Ram V, art by Nina Bakuva, Laura Braga, and Araldo Bancas. This is wrapping up the Fear State storyline in Catwoman in style. We're seeing some stuff that doesn't quite match up to some of the other books in Fear State, but I know you've been a fan of Catwoman and this run for a while, so what'd you think about this? Well, and I, I like that... Um... I was saying this, I think, um, on another podcast, um, that the way that um, Fear State sort of was a a main – there was a hub event and then there's all these spoke titles. But you didn't have to read all of them and they were sort of telling their own version of the story as opposed to being like a a classic got to get them all uh, crossover. And I think this book is the epitome of that. It's Catwoman's take. It's Catwoman's neighborhood. We touch on the moments. We get to see the nice uh, Poison Ivy Harley kiss here in this this sort of lens. Uh, but it, this is really focusing on Catwoman stuff and sort of her in reinventing herself a little bit through and finding her new family through this horrifying uh, series of events in Gotham City. The thing that I've liked best about this title is the way that she interacts with the other villains. There's some fun stuff here, not just with her and Penguin, but also Clayface and Penguin, Riddler and Catwoman. And all these relationships are just so different from what Batman, of course, has with them. It's a nice take, and it's one that I don't think we get to see very often with her, that positions her not as a hero, but also not completely as a villain, which works. Yeah, and it is funny, like, we get to see – she's got a lot. There's a lot of relationships that we cycle through here. There's She's busy. She's really she's coming into our – her birthday card list, Christmas card list, holiday card list must mm-hmm. be extensive. Well, it's classic. I mean, that's cats, right? Like, cats love people and they love hanging around people and they love forming relationships with people. That's the main thing we know about them is animals. Right. The ultimate social animal, cats. <laughs> Girl Scouts, Stone Ghost, number one, from Image Comics by Jim Mafood. If you know anything about Jim Mafood, you already know kind of what you're getting into with this book, which is a lot of wild craziness and very distinctive looking art here. What do you think about this one? I like this. It got into some sad stuff that really mm-hmm. was uh, affecting. There's some great uh, cutaways about dealing with uh, someone in your life having cancer that I was like in the middle of this sort of wild uh, ex- adventure story to have that really grounded emotional reality stuff. I really thought was great. Yeah, I like this quite a bit, too, even just for a wash of art as you're looking at it as he changes up the panel structure and the look between the pages. Really interesting stuff. Next up, Black Panther, number one from Marvel, written by John Ridley, art by Juan Gabal. This is a bold new take on Black Panther, though it is picking up on the whole intergalactic empire of Wakanda thing that was running through the book for a very long period of time. Here, though, we're getting more of a one-on-one spy-focused Black Panther, 
He's also a little bit of a jerk in this book. Yeah. I thought was just an interesting take. Uh, but yeah, I, and like, I and not getting it. along, not yeah. getting along with Shuri a little bit, and some of the mm-hmm. other people here. Like it is. Well, he's probably uh, I, annoyed at her for not just getting a vaccination already so they can move <laughs> on with shooting the rest of the movie. Yes, I can't wait for that to be an incorporated plot point mm-hmm. into the MCU. Um, everyone's unreasonably, like, keeping their distance from Shuri. <laughs> like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and Lab is calling. They need more You're supposed science. to be the smartest character in the universe. Not acting like that, Shuri, over there. But, right. um, but, but this book... Um, I really did like this take. Um, I like the Black Panther. I feel like has become so super powered um, in a lot of the other comics that I like this more street level. Like he's got to go down and fix this mistake that he made. Like that's a great motivator. Him sort of getting in a little fight with Captain America. I thought was cool too. (laughs) be like, Hey man, get off my case. I'm busy too. (laughs) You're in in time traveling through time maybe or something. Um, I have my own shit to do. Um, and not getting along with Shuri. I like this subplot. I really like the way they did the sort of coming up on Black Panther at the very mm-hmm. end. Um, was really cool. Fun visual. Yeah, I'm into this. I was very much on board with this first issue, even though it is a alarming, very different T'Challa that I think we've gotten used to seeing. Next up, though, DC versus Vampires, number two from DC Comics, written by James Tyne the Fourth and Matthew Rosenberg, art by Otto Schmidt. In this issue, the vampire invasion of the DC Universe continues. This is a out-of-continuity book where Glear Green Lantern has been turned into a vampire by somebody. We don't know who exactly. Mm-hmm. As well as other members of the DC Universe. Here, Batman has found out about it, and he's realized that most likely there is a vampire embedded in probably every major superhero team and probably some of the supervillain teams as well. Uh, this is great. I'm really digging this book quite a bit. This book is very fun. This is one of my favorite reads of the week. Um, And the way that they – just all the characters really pop here. They're written a little bit differently. Batgirl in this is like super fun and sort of like – usually she's written so tightly and like always on top of it. She's a little loose here. I was like, that's nice. Uh, Barbara's chilling a little Mm -hmm. bit here. And then the way – there's a last sequence with um, Vampire Hal and um, The Flash – that was just great and horrifying and uh, really well done. Real quick theory time. Who do you think is Green Lantern's master? Because we find out in this in this issue that there is somebody behind him. We don't know if it's the ultimate big bad or there's another level of vampire up there, but they're kept in shadow the entire time. Who do you think it is? I mean, I was getting weird vibes off of Alfred in this comic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I feel like it's going to be someone that we've seen in these first two issues. Um, someone, like, very much related to our heroes, but maybe not. It's a little obvious if it was, like, Superman or whatever. Um, so, like, Alfred was a big indicator. I feel like it could also be Batman. Oh, that's, that is a good one. I like that idea quite a what bit. What about you? Uh, I don't know. I, I definitely thought... You don't I have mean, a theory? A half-baked dark theory? Side? I don't know. Dark side. <laughs> but then I was trying to think about it, a vampire biting Darkseid's neck and breaking off its teeth on its rocky skin. I don't think it'll happen. Imagine Darkseid creeping up to you and just <laughs> getting, breathing on your neck with this big stone mouth. Clomp, He's clomp, got like clomp. a Muppet mouth. <laughs> he does. Is he made out of stone or does he just have gray skin? I always thought he was made out of stone. Oh, okay. uh, but, you know, like, you don't ever get to see him eat very often. I feel like we could tell what was going on if he was eating. 
<laughs> he might have a cookie monster energy where he just nom, throws nom, nom, food nom, in nom, his nom, mouth <laughs> and it all falls out. <laughs> that's why he gets so angry. Somebody pointed it out one time and he's like, well, that's it. I'm destroying all life in the universe. Yeah, exactly. That's what if you challenge the cookie monster that you get it dark. You side. become the cookie monster. Yeah. <laughs> Decorum number eight from Image Comics, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Mike Huddleston. This is wrapping up the first arc of this book. Wildly. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think how to boil down the plot of this book. Basically, there is a league of assassins. We've been following one assassin. They're all female, by the way. Uh, One assassin who started as a courier, ultimately was trained up to be the best of the assassins. She discovered, like, this Eggman who she saved the last episode, uh, last episode, last issue. And this issue, everybody is after them. Uh, We wrap it up. In classic Jonathan Hickman fashion with a men versus AI battle, you know, I I was thinking a lot about what you've said about this book while I was reading it, where I think you keep saying this is what he wants to do on X-Men, but is not quite allowed to do. And this is straight up war of super beings versus AI, though very cheeky and very funny the entire time. Yeah, Uh, It's great. I love this issue so much. I mean, th- this strikes me, especially this issue, as like Jubilee. If Jubilee was the main character of an X book, on the forefront of his like humans and, and mutants versus AI that he wants to be telling with uh, the X universe that he's sort of bailed out on <laughs> lately. Um, because, and I, I, I do like this. This was a wild read, though, because I was like, oh, wow, there's so much going on. We're in the middle of this story. And I was like, oh, no, this is the end. <laughs> this is where it all comes to a close. And then by the end, I was like, oh, no, it's not. It's also the middle of, it's the end and the middle of a whole other thing. Um, and that's Hickman for you. He really turns the corners fast. I really like this issue, like I said, though, and Mike Huddleston's arc continues to be so varied and so amazing. There's a double-page spread he has in the middle where he just kind of does a cityscape that is stunning to look at and completely different from anything else in the book. Great stuff. It's really wild to see a a single artist do so much variety in a book. Usually it'd be they'd get someone else to come in and do the, like, five pages that look a certain way, and it's all Mike, uh, Mike Huddleston the whole time, which is really cool. And I also really appreciated that before the end of this issue, we find out why this book is called Decorum. That was very yes. nice. <laughs> There's a great uh, main main title check uh, here, uh, which I thought actually worked. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. hard to be like, and that's the decorum I'm speaking about and have it be like, oh, that's natural. <laughs> um, but I actually did. They did a pretty good job here with it. Bruce Wayne may appear to be a wealthy playboy, but beneath this facade, his true identity is that of the Batman, waging an endless war against crime. Join the Cape Crusader in Batman, the audio adventures, the first scripted audio original featuring Batman and his villainous rogues gallery in a world premiere story of life and death in Gotham City debuting exclusively on HBO Max, starring Jeffrey Wright as Batman and a who's who of incredible Saturday Night Live alums. This rollicking adventure, told across 10 episodes, is written and directed by Emmy winner Dennis McNichols, including devilishly delightful original music by Doug Bossie and performances by Rosario Dawson, John Liguizamo, Chris Parnell, Melissa Villanueva-Senor, Seth Meyers, Jason Sudeikis, Brooke Shields, Fred Armisen, and many, many more. 
go to hbomax.com backslash Batman Audio Adventures for more and stream Batman The Audio Adventures only on HBO Max. Next up, Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, number one from Marvel, written by Marike Nijkamp, art by Edith Balam. This is, of course, picking up and not picking up on, but tying into the idea of a Hawkeye series debuting on Disney+. (laughs) Plus. For once, for once, Marvel has gotten it right in terms of the timing, which I was very happy to see. Normally, it's like, hope you enjoyed that Loki series. Six months later, here's a comic book. Or they do it earlier in order to have the books on physical bookstore shelves. But I think this is the first time in recent memory, maybe since Cloak and Dagger debuted, I think they had an infinite comic Mm -hmm. that came out at the same time, where we have a Hawkeye-Kate Bishop series hitting the same day as Hawkeye, the TV show. Um, So that's great. But that all said... What'd you think of the book? Um, I thought it was cool because uh, to to your point, it really has the same vibe as the Kate Bishop from the TV series, which I think is very different from most iterations of Kate Bishop in the the Marvel Comics universe that we've seen. Like this Kate has the the band-aid, the bandage over her nose. She is the more rough and tumble um, uh, Kate that I think we're all um, excited about in this series. Um, so yeah, I, I thought this works really well. Yeah, I like it too. There's a lot going on. We start in California, which is where Kate currently is. She travels to New York. We meet a member of her family that I don't think we met before. Maybe we have. Seems but I, the book certainly says, look, you remember her from these flashbacks. Yes, but I don't remember those flashbacks personally. Yeah. I might have missed that issue, though. But there is a part of me that wished it had just started in New York. I felt like we didn't need the... This is where she is, and this is where she's going to. Um, Because once they get into it, and once they set up the actual premise of the book, I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, And the art is very good, too. There's a lot of uh, wild exaggeration of limbs going on here, but I think it works very well for the book. So I'm excited to read more. Next up, That Texas Blood, number 12 from Image Comics, written by Chris Condon, art by Jacob Phillips. This is finishing up the second arc of this book. The first arc was very reminiscent of Criminal in terms of being a slow, careful mystery. This one was a absolutely wild cults in Texas battle that may or may not be summoning demons by the end of the book. It's not totally clear. Given this change of storytelling, how did you feel about the second arc as a whole, as well as this issue? I thought it was great. This is another of my favorite comics that's coming on the stands right now. Like, I feel like the tone change, like you mentioned, really works. It's funny in the right points, getting into the supernatural stuff in the in the right way, in a way where it's sort of like, this may be real and it may not. It doesn't matter. It's more interesting the fact that our main character, who we is this like straight-laced Texas cop, it's like he sort of believes it. And then the way the book, this issue ends, I thought was really well done. Uh, and I guess my favorite part is when they turn to the um, to out from the comic and say, and now that's what I call that Texas blood. <laughs> that was pretty cool. I feel like this is just to totally spitball here. This may not be accurate at all, but given that there were so many comparisons with the first arc to Criminal, this feels like a very calculated and conscious effort to move beyond that. And I think that's a really smart thing to do for the life of the series, because there are still touchstones there. It is still connected to the first arc, but making it bigger and wilder and crazier 
is a really interesting way for the series to go. We're going to get a Christmas special, I believe, as the next issue, which I'm excited to check out. Uh, and then very curious to see what they're going to do beyond this. This is a great series. And if you haven't read it at this point, there's going to be two volumes that'll be out. So go back, check them out. It's awesome. Definitely. Great read. Next up, another finish here we should talk about. Checkmate number six from DC Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Alex Maleev. This issue, that's it for Mark Shaw leading Leviathan. We finally finished this Uber story that we've all known and loved so much uh, as Checkmate finally takes him down for good. Spoiler there, I guess. To be slightly less pithy about it, I guess we've been kind of mixed on this series. Alex Believe Art, great. Some really big, exciting moves at points here. But now that we have the final issue in the rearview mirror, what do you think, Justin? I feel like this is a, a great example of a modern Bendis book where it's like it's a little bit wishy-washy throughout a lot of it, but the beginnings are cool and the endings are like, there's some good reveals. Like we get one and this is a spoiler um, outside of Mark Shaw dying, which I was like, didn't we just make him? Why are you killing yeah. him now? Um, but the reveal that um, Commandy sort of grown up Commandy is here. Um, that was cool. That's something I'm like, Oh, I haven't seen that before. That's interesting to me. Commandy comes back in time to try to stop the end of everything that made him the last boy. Like, that's a fun idea. And it's jammed in with like 90 other things <laughs> happening in this book. But like, that's cool. Um, we get uh, Talia becoming uh, bad again um, and sort of taking over. Um, more Lazarus pits. Amanda Waller just shows up because that's what she does all the time for some reason. Um, so lots going on, but definitely a better issue than a lot of the other ones in this series, mm-hmm. I thought. Can I make a potentially controversial suggestion. I feel like Ooh. at this point, what Brian Michael Bendis might want to do is move into an editorial capacity. And the reason wow. I say that is he has some, like you're saying, really good ideas here. The Commandi thing is great. Uh, the uh, Talia moving into Leviathan thing is great. I don't think you mentioned, but we find out that Lois Lane has this secret brother who is a super spy. Great idea. These are all fun. Um, Give those ideas and focus on each of those ideas individually. Like, I want to see exactly the way that you described it. Commandi, the last boy on Earth, travels back in time to stop the apocalypse. That's a great concept for a book. Yeah. We barely find that out at all. So it's jam-packed with ideas, but it feels like a transitional thing versus six issues of a story that I necessarily read. And that's frustrating. Yeah. And I mean, I wonder – I'd be curious if you would ever – do that, become an editor. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like stepping out of that creative spotlight is hard, I think, for a lot of people. But having a, just a more of a focus on one thing for a while, um, I think might just get us more of those bent. Like when he was doing Daredevil, it felt like he was pouring every bit of creative juice into that. And it the dividends were there. So hopefully we get a little bit more of that going forward. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not against Brian Michael Bendis by any means. Um, just at least with this series, I don't think it quite came together, even though there's some interesting ideas that clearly will spin out throughout the DC universe. And that seems to be kind of the point. Next up, House of Slaughter, number two for Boob Studios, written by James Tynan IV and Tate Bromble, art by Chris Sheehan. This is continuing the spinoff from Something is Killing the Children, focusing specifically, as the title indicates, on the House of Slaughter. We find out much more about our two main characters, I guess you could say here. Also, how the House of Slaughter works at all in the society. 
all of this stuff is fascinating. And I love, I love that they probably just had this whole Bible in the background of here's how something is killing the children works. And this is how they're laying it all out. It's great. And I love this informs so much of reading something is killing the children in a great way. So if you like that book, you should definitely be reading this. Um, the backstory on how they sort of uh, become what they are, how they enter the house of slaughter, I thought was great. It's necessary reading mm-hmm. um, to see why they have these tiny stuffed animals with them. And the formality of that process was really cool to see. This book is is great. It's not just a uh, easy spinoff. It really does flesh out the world in a great way. Yeah, totally agree. Next up, Task Force Z at number two from DC Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Eddie Barrows. First of all, we had Matthew on the show a couple of weeks back where he talked about the making of this book. So go back and check out that podcast if you want to find out more about his reasoning behind it. Also, why he was very hesitant to take it on in the first place. But I do think two issues in, there's some very good, gross horror things that are happening here. I am interested to see how this company, I don't know, organization that Red Hood has fallen into works, who else is going to die and get reanimated. Um, There's a lot of really interesting stuff that's being set up here to issues in. What do you think, Justin? I agree. Like, this issue really crystallized it for me, where it got out of the, like, it's crazy that they're dead, into sort of the horror of being on the spectrum of dead and alive, and the fact that he, that Jason did die and came back. So it feels very personal to him without him being so expository. Like, I'm struggling with this because of my death and eventual reanimation. So I see how you, Gotham Knight, are struggling with that same situation. He's just horrified when she's, like, more alive than she was before, but still, like, scarred all over her face. And she seems nice. Um, The way that playing with that as, like, a body horror thing and also Mm -hmm. the relationships you can have with these dead people um, that uh, when you yourself are maybe right on the edge of that is really cool and good good action as well. So let me throw out a theory to you about this one, and this gets into spoilers for the end. At the very end of the issue, Jason Todd gets shot in the back. Uh, He's played around over the course of this issue with like, no, I don't want this formula. Don't reanimate me. Don't make me better. I think, first of all, they are going to reanimate him. And second of all, based on it's it's Arkham Knight, right? I think is the character or is it Gotham Knight? Oh, yeah, you're right. Arkham Knight. Arkham Knight. Um, I think based on that little uh, conversation between Arkham Knight and Jason, I think we're going to get a totally gross zombie makeout love scene at some point through the run of the series. And I like it. She's nice. Uh, they have to have a really great spark uh, mm. or the dead version of a spark. Absolutely. Last but not least, Night of the Ghoul, number two from Comixology, written by Scott Snyder, art by Francesco Francavia. This is juxtaposing a old horror movie that exists in this world called Night of the Ghoul, but the guy who is investigating the guy who made Night of the Ghoul turns out it's much more based on fact that he thought it was, probably. Uh, this is very creepy, and as usual, Francesco Francavilla's art is awesome. Yeah, this is a team that worked on some of Scott Snyder's early DC stuff, right? Their detective mm-hmm. com- they had a run on detective comics that I think is so good. Um, if you want to see just young Scott Snyder um, doing a great story about mm-hmm. uh, Commissioner Gordon's son, who is uh, has the same sort of tension as this book, where it's a character who you like... They seem all right, and then they do something that's really disturbing, and it's constantly sort of like 
pushing against that tension. And that's what the, this book's very tense. I don't know what's happening. It's definitely a mystery that's unfolding. But I was like, I was like, something's scary here. It's you. And then it was someone <laughs> else. And then we'll see what it is. And I, I especially love when they um, turned out of the panel and said, that's quite the night of the ghoul. I love that part too. And I love all of you who are listening to this podcast. Oh, so if that's you, really I sweet. love you. So wow. if you'd like to support the podcast, <laughs> patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube coming out. We'd love to chat with you about comic books. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. We really discussed comic book clubs, the stack, this time. (laughs) 